Let's take our Bibles for a few minutes tonight. I'm going to ask you to turn tonight to Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew chapter 9. As you're turning there, let me just remind you about what we're going to start on Sunday. We're going to spend some time in the Word. And uh, it'll be a full, full Sunday morning for us, actually. We, we come together to worship, and uh, we will also install uh, some new deacons that have just been approved uh, to our leadership team. We'll do that on Sunday morning. And uh, at the end of the morning service, we'll have the Lord's Supper together. It's the first Sunday of the month. We're going to spend some time at the Lord's Supper uh, together on Sunday. And then as we go into the second hour, we're going to start into our book study. And so a lot of you ordered that book. Just, let me just remind you, check your email if you haven't seen it yet. I did send out an email, I think it was yesterday it went out, uh, to let you know what we're going to ask you to read is the, the foreword and the, uh, the preface and chapter number one. Okay, that'll kind of get us into the book, get a sense of what's there. We're going to start in some things on Sunday. And, uh, and our goal is going to be to plow through the book over the course of just a short number of weeks. So seven to eight weeks, we're going to try to finish that book. And along the way, we'll let you know if there's uh, a week maybe where we need to uh, read a couple of chapters instead of just one. Um, there may be some Sundays where we have some missionaries coming in, so we won't be able to discuss uh, the chapter on the weekend. So we might have two chapters over two weeks to discuss on the, on the second Sunday. But we're going we're gonna to work our way through over these next few weeks this book, I think. And I pray it's going to be a help. Pastor Dave and I both put our eyes on this, and we, we think it's going to be a challenging, um, uh, perspective-shaping study together. So we want to make sure that we, we are trying to finish this before our college students go off to school. We'd like to put some more tools in their hands as they get ready for college. And so we want all of us to actually uh, put our eyes on this. So make your plans. I think... At this point, if you did not yet get a book, I've got one more copy that Pastor Dave ordered that we can uh, give to somebody. It's $12 if you want it. Um, a lot of you said you're going to get your own copies. That's perfect. You're welcome to do that. But I do have one extra copy if anybody does need one. Uh, you can see us tonight. I've got it in hand up here. be happy to put it in your hand before we start our study together on Sunday. Well, I ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 9 uh, because this past Sunday... Uh, we actually spent our time together in uh, thinking about the mission that we've been given from our, by our Lord. And, and as you know, we return to this theme often because it's so central to what the, the Scriptures teach us about why we're here. Why, why are we here? Why is there breath in our lungs? Why, why do we have life in these bodies? Why haven't we just been saved and snatched away already? What, why have we been left here to do? And it's more than survive. It's actually to bear witness to Jesus Christ, to continue his mission. We talked about that on Sunday. And as we studied the word together, we were actually reminded of the, the, the great and the, the, what we might even say is breathtaking task that still lies before us. Um, it, was just, it was good for our family to, to get the chance over the last few weeks to be back in a place where we got to see with some great clarity. Um, the, the extent of, of the need. Uh, I don't know how much time you spend with your eyes watching people. I know we, we sit in traffic and we see a lot of cars in our way. And we stand in line and we see a lot of bodies in our way. And we go through our neighborhoods and we see a lot of people who just uh, don't seem to, to care about things like they used to, right? We, 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 we see all the problems. And people tend to be, for many, even professing Christians, speed bumps on the way to the comfortable life I want to live. It's just in, in my way. 
Not my mission field. Not souls that will spend somewhere for eternity. But just inconveniences, frustrations, bothers. Just listen to the way we gripe. Just listen to the complaints that slip from our lips. We, we, we look at people not as souls many times. And the temptation that was there, I mean, we traveled, and right, I'm sitting in airports, and it's just, after a while, you're just like, I'm peopled out, right? I'm just peopled out. And, and yet, these are souls. And to sit in a place like Chicago O'Hare for almost eight hours in one terminal and consider how many thousands of people walked down the hall in front of us. And every one of them will spend eternity somewhere. To get off a plane and to see hundreds of people gathered by the shore because they all want a glimpse of the sunset. And as they watch the sunset our God has painted, they curse his name. All these rich Americans there to enjoy their vacations, cursing God with every breath. I wonder, do we realize our mission is standing in front of us? Cutting us off in traffic. In that line that we just wish would be done so I can go home and get back to my life. That's our mission field. And yet even the most spiritually minded of us is prone to the humanity we all have, the the flesh we all have, the the proneness to wander, Lord, we feel it. And and so what we do, we we come back and we try to remind ourselves from the scriptures what God has told us because because it's so easy for our eyes to drift from what's true to what I think, from what's true to what I feel. So we spend some time Sunday talking about this, and there is a, 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 a grandness to this task. It's, it's, it's breathtaking in its nature because it is so vast, and we talked about how it seems so impossible. I'm too small for this. So we've been equipped by the Spirit, and we've been put to the work. And on the heels of that study from Sunday, what I thought we might do tonight is just before we go to prayer, spend... Uh, some time, really be well served by returning to another familiar text that kind of takes up the same subject, one that I actually alluded to in the sermon on Sunday. And it's found in Matthew chapter 9. But what I want to do, instead of just reading those familiar verses, I want to read the context. I want to read several paragraphs before it and lead up to what Jesus says in this text because I think sometimes we lose sight of the, the, the bigger context as we read this. What is Matthew uh, getting to? Because as Matthew wrote, we studied this together, this gospel together over several years. Uh, Matthew, as he wrote, grouped stories together almost in categories when he wanted to make a point about our Lord's ministry. And so you start to read the stories and you realize these aren't all in chronological order, but they are kind of grouped categorically because in these chapters, it's like Matthew, by the Spirit's inspiration, wants to teach us truths and and teach us bigger uh, ideas than just the words in the one paragraph or just the things being said in that one story. And he, he often puts things together in a chapter to help us make sure we get the bigger picture of what's going on. So I just want to spend a few minutes tonight reading the bigger picture to get to the text we're familiar with, okay? That's the goal tonight. So Matthew chapter 9, I want to start at verse 18, 
And I want to read down to verse 38. So it's a little bit longer text. I'm going to read all these verses. But I want us to see if we, if we note the thread that weaves these together as Matthew lays it out for us in chapter number 9. So let me begin at verse 18. I'm going to read down through verse 38. Matthew writes this. While he was saying these things, Jesus was saying these things, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. And Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose And the report of this went through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David! When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As we read, I tried to emphasize some of the key words in these four paragraphs that are found here. And the first one, let me just run back to it. It's a question of faith, right? Man comes and kneels before Jesus, verse 18. My daughter has just died, but, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Whoa. How many of us pray like that at a funeral? <laughs> right? There's something going on in this guy. He, he knew something about Jesus, right? My, my daughter's just died, but you, you come. She'll stand up and walk around again. On the way there, there's a woman... She's tried everything she can. The other gospel writers tell us she's tried with doctors and spent all of her money. And, and she's not been able to solve her medical problem. But she, she understands. I, I know who this man is. If I can just touch the fringe of his garment. If I can just get near him. 
will change everything for me. Jesus' words to her was, your faith has made you whole. You believed. Some blind men. They come and they ask. They make a prayer. Lord, please heal our blindness. That's Jesus' question to them. Do you really believe I'm able to do this? They've not seen anything. They've just heard reports, right? I mean, they're blind. They, they can't see. Do you believe I can do what you're asking? Yes, Lord. He heals them and they go, go telling the story to everybody what he did for them. You say, well, where's the question of faith or belief and unbelief in the next paragraph? Well, look, look at it. Jesus casts out these demons. And how do the Pharisees respond? Do they respond with belief or unbelief? You see, the issue even here is unbelief, right? It's a question of faith. He casts out demons by the prince of demons. We don't believe it. He's not who he says he is. Demons only listen to him because he's actually their boss. He's on their side. They're, they're just doing his bidding because he's with them. It's still a question of belief and unbelief. Friends, I think we typically think of the final paragraph in the passage that I just read to be the only one that addresses our mission, right? We, we read those final verses and it's like we pluck them out of the midst of a field as if they're the only flower that blooms in missional colors. This last paragraph is about the mission. Never mind that all the passages before are about his compassion and about his ministry and about the need of people and how he came to meet their needs. Never mind everything in the previous passages is about belief and unbelief. Is he who he says he is? Is he not who he says he is? All of this combines, as do all the gospel messages, to be rooted right at the center of what we've talked about so often here. And I think it's important for us to understand the fact that the entire context of this portion of the text contrasts this belief and unbelief question. In fact, I think we might go as far as to assert that the question of the context seems to be the question of whether or not we believe the word of Christ. Because in every paragraph before it, that was the question, do they believe the word of Christ? And on the heels of this, Matthew lumps this right into the flow of the argument that he's making. And it's as if he's now saying, now this is what Jesus said. Do you believe it? Do I believe it? Or do we shrug and go on with other things, not letting it go to our hearts and affect our lives? What I want to do just for a few minutes before we pray tonight is I want, to, I want to ask a handful of questions. I just want to go through this and ask the belief questions. Like, do we believe? Questions like this. Do we take Christ at his word? 
The text tells us about him, that he went through the cities and he taught and he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. He healed their diseases and their afflictions. That's not what I'm asking if we believe. That's just a record of historical fact. That's what happened in this context. We're also told what was happening within him, not just through him and outside of him, but in him. Verse 36, when he saw the crowd, he had compassion for them. So inwardly he was moved. Outwardly he was moving among them. Inwardly he was moved for them. He had compassion for them. And there was reason for compassion because they were harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. We're going to come back to that thought in a minute. But what did he say? Jesus turned not to the Pharisees and not to the, not to the demon-possessed that had been, had been healed and not to the blind that had been healed and, and, and not to the woman with an issue of blood and, and not to the one who needed his daughter raised. He's not looking at the crowds. He's looking at his own and he says to his own. As he's moved among the people, as he's been moved for the people, he says to his own disciples, the harvest is plentiful. But the workers, the laborers, are few. Therefore, do something. Get to work. At least in one form or fashion, get to work in the labor. Pray earnestly. To the Lord of the harvest. To send out labors into his harvest. Do we take Christ at his word? For instance, do we truly believe that the harvest is plentiful? There's almost a sense in the American church that, well, people are going to get saved. They're going to get saved. If they're not, they're not. Oh, well, big deal. Let's move on. And I'm going to say, whoa, whoa. Who are you telling about Jesus? Who are you praying for? And not just do I have you to like realize I have a neighbor that's lost, like a neighbor next to me that's lost, or I have a coworker who may be lost, or I, I've got a president who's lost, or I know of somebody who's lost, and so I, I whisper a little prayer, and then I go about my day about what really matters to me, but that we actually live in a world that is filled with billions of people dying and going to hell right now. Because we have a hard time processing Jesus' own words. The harvest is plentiful. Do we believe his words that the laborers aren't many? They're few. I think if, some, if we're not careful, we begin to, to think in terms of, well, yeah, there's a, you know, there's a lot of churches out there and there's a lot of pastors out there. And we hear about a lot of missionaries out there and there's a lot of, a lot of evangelists out there. And, and, and so, I mean, man, there's a lot of workers. What did Jesus say? There aren't enough. <laughs> They're few. 
who actually are engaged in the ministry of the harvest. Do we take him at his word? Do we believe that the harvest is plentiful? Do we believe that the labors are few? Do we believe, let me ask this question, that prayer actually accomplishes anything? All right, let's say I believe the harvest is plentiful, and let's say I believe that the, that the labors are few, but come on. I mean, if I really tonight give myself to praying for the harvest, is it really going to do anything? I mean, I can tell you, people I've been praying for for years, maybe a decade or more, that God would save them, and I haven't yet seen Him save them. So what? That starts to creep into our bones if we're not careful, right? Does praying for the harvest really do anything? What did Jesus say? Pray. This is actually work in the harvest. See, we start to think that the only work that can be done is actually the opening my mouth to people. Hear me, friends. We need to open our mouths to people. But let's get real. What did Jesus say? Praying to him about the harvest is as much work as opening my mouth and speaking to people with the gospel. He didn't say do either or, but this passage, he commanded prayer. And I want to ask, are, are we praying? Like we believe what he said. And notice what the request is here. It's not just that he would save more souls. See, that's where we tend to emphasize, right? It's Lord, save. Lord, save. What did he say? Pray. Lord, send. Send people. Send labor. Send workers. And I think we all understand there's a scary thing to praying that way. Because if I start praying, Lord, send someone, I realize that someone may be me <laughs> or you. And I would submit some of us don't pray like this because we don't want him to send us. Lord, send someone as long as it's someone else. And I would suggest, biblically, we should pray more like Isaiah when we hear him saying, Whom shall I send? That we cry out like Isaiah, Lord, here am I, send me. Send me. Do we take him at his word? Do we believe that the harvest is plentiful? Do we believe that the labors are few? Do we, do we believe that, that prayer accomplishes anything? How about this? Do we believe that the Lord is truly the Lord of the harvest? That the harvest is his? Like he's master over it. Like he's, he's, not, he's not like some kind of a, a, a gleaner in the edges of the field hoping maybe something will be left behind that he can pick up. No, the Lord is the Lord of the harvest. He's like Jesus in John 6 all that the Father gives me will come to me, and him who comes to me I will in no wise cast out. I save every one that's mine. That's the work of the Lord of the harvest. He misses no one. Do you pray like this? Like we believe he is the Lord of the harvest. Do we believe that our God is still sending laborers into his harvest? 
I mean, I, I think we've almost gotten to the place in our current Christian culture in America that we're just glad if the kids turn out all right. <laughs> like they don't blow themselves up in, in their youth. They don't blow up their purity. They don't blow up their, their usefulness. We're just thankful that they actually turned out okay. Like that's, that's actually like the, where the bar is set in the American church. Like as long as they don't mess themselves up too bad, we're just thankful. What about going and giving their lives? For a cause bigger than themselves. Like, like, like our sights set so low that we don't dream and we don't pray for more. Because we we're not sure he's still sending people. Who would actually be willing? I mean, who? Who in our day would actually be willing, right? To lay down hopes and dreams and plans of becoming rich and famous. Comfortable, cushy lives at your, at your fingertips. If you'll just... Plan hard and work hard and get a good education. You can be whatever you want to be. Wait a second. Do you want to be used of God? How about we start talking to a generation like that? We spent decades listening to Disney and Jiminy Cricket. Let your conscience be your guide. Your conscience is messed up if you're fallen. It's not what do you want to be when you grow up, young person. It's what does God want to do with you for the rest of your life. And yet even the American church has begun to drink the Kool-Aid of the culture and basically say kids can do and be and have whatever they want rather than, hey, at a young age, young person, you determine by God's grace, you will give every ounce of who you are and what you have to God. And if that's be a garbage man, then be a garbage man of the glory of God who declares Jesus at every turn. But if that's give your life away on some more foreign mission field, hacking your way through a jungle to minister to a tribe that's never heard, then don't you settle for becoming the president of the United States of America. You go and you give yourself for God. Do, do, we, do we pray like we believe God's still doing that in people? When we hear that people are willing to give up the American dream to go, do we actually kind of sit back and roll our eyes and go, really, are you sure? I mean, come on, you, you, you could have it so nice here. Do we believe that God is still sending laborers into his harvest? Do we believe that he wants to use you and me, you and me, to pray for and labor in the harvest? Or is this a passage for the hyper-spiritual, right? There's a few among us who might, but the rest of us, we're just realistic. It's the reason why we pray here so often, things like this. God, please don't just take our money to the nations. Take us. It's why we try to hold up in front of us at every turn opportunities that our members have to speak of Jesus and evangelism or missions. It's why we want to make a big deal about missionaries every Wednesday night. It's not because somehow these are the hyper-spiritual. No, this is supposed to be normal. Not odd that people pray for the harvest and serve in the harvest. Like this, this is Christianity. 
We want to rejoice in it. Beyond do we just believe these things, can I go a little further and ask this question? Okay, so do we actually pray for the harvest? Or maybe if I use the language of Jesus here, could, could your prayers, my prayers for the harvest, honestly be described as, look at his word, earnest I mean, there's things we pray for earnestly, right? I mean, there were some really earnest prayers, and rightly so, over the last few weeks that, that the Supreme Court would do what they did last week. I mean, there were people who wept and who, who prayed and who earnestly sought God, and, and rightly so. But what did Jesus tell us we were to be earnestly praying about? Among them is this. Because we understand the vastness of the mission and the lack of the workers. And so we earnestly cry out to God. We plead with God to send people into his harvest. Begs a question, do we really want the Lord to send out laborers? Even if it includes us, right? Maybe I could ask it this way. Do our prayers reflect a truly compassionate and willing heart toward the harvest? Like Jesus. Said so we come back to it. Just look back in the text. What did it say in verse 36? When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. You know what a lot of the prayers of the American church over the last couple few years have actually sounded like, at least from where I'm sitting, as I've seen it on social media and heard a bunch of pastors belly aching about the current climate of the culture? We look on the crowds and we have compassion for ourselves because we are being harassed by and helpless toward the, the world around us. Not we look on the world around us with compassion because they are harassed and they are helpless. They are like sheep without a shepherd. No one watching over their souls. See, we spend so much time feeling sorry for ourselves because we think we're the harassed ones. Jesus was about to die at their hands, but how, how did he see them? He saw them as the harassed ones. Them as the helpless ones. Them as the ones who had no shepherd. And I wonder, is there any of that heart in us? That we look around us and that's, that's our heartbeat because that's our Lord's heartbeat. Bottom line, maybe we could ask it this way. Are we true believers? I mean, believers, right? Not, not just, we talk about believing. We talk about he's trustworthy. No, we believe in such a way that we actually act upon what he says. Or would we have to admit that, the, that we tend to be unbelieving believers when it comes to the mission of the church, right? Like we know it should matter to us. 
At various times, it may matter to us more than at others, but at the end of the day, I'm going to get mine, and I'm going to be comfortable. I'm going to make sure I'm, st- I'm kept happy. And if I have a little bit of leftover, I'll, I'll, I'll toss it in a different direction than myself. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll do something with my extra time or something with my extra money or something with my, like, like, I'm thankful because I'm watching a growing heart in our congregation that is like this. But I'm asking us, wrestle with the question. I wrestle with the question. Is all of this more than talk for us? At the end of the day, are we perfectly satisfied as long as we can show up at the building where we're comfortable, at the time that we're comfortable, at the, when life is, is just fine and all is going well, and I'll, I'll do the Christian thing and I'll read my Bible, but, but, but ask me to make myself uncomfortable by talking to someone or, or ask me to feel actually put out by, by, by compassion and that I'm actually, I would actually weep over someone. No, no, no. That's too much to ask. Well, brethren, I just want to, I want to remind us that it's, it's not to be talk for us because it was not talk for our Lord. We represent him. And so tonight what I want to do is I, just want, I want us to pray. I want us to pray like he called us to. I want us to come to the text and say, okay, we spent some time on Sunday talking about the mission, being reminded of the mission, uh, rejoicing in the mission, uh, praising God for how money's been given to the mission. Now tonight what I want to do, I want us to pray over the harvest. I want us to pray about the mission to the one who's sovereign over the mission and sovereign over us and our engagement in the mission. I want us to pray that he would move in our hearts with the same compassion that he has for the lost. I want to pray that we would actually realize that the world is so much bigger than than the few square miles we frequent each day. There's so many more needs than the fact that they didn't have my brand of chicken at Walmart this week or whatever. Like, like, I mean, how, how many times do I find myself so fixated on I didn't get mine this week? And not even realize how many people I walked past who desperately need Jesus and I didn't even see them. And if I did, they were just in my way. Oh, friends, may we grow. May I grow. You grow in this kind of compassion. That understands who our Lord was, what he was like and what he has called us to. And be willing to pray as he's commanded and serve as he's commanded and give as he's commanded. And if need be, even go as he has commanded to do what he's given us all to do. And so tonight, I just want to leave us with that thought as we go to prayer. Are are we walking in the ways of our Lord, not merely talking about them? I'm thankful. I do see. I, I've watched over a decade now, or more than a decade, a, a, a wonderful shift and growth taking place among us and in us, and yet none of us has arrived yet. <laughs> and we need, I need this kind of reminder in my own, my own soul. So tonight we want to pray like that. All right?